yeah. you have to understand the difference between compulsory and optional and you have to understand that your kids won't get there if you just well some kids will and a lot of coaches will think like oh if you can't handle it then you're not cut out to be a champion but that's not the right way to be thinking about it if you want to have a big optional team the way you need to think about it is how can i cultivate an environment that moves as many kids as possible up through and gives them all the tools for success rather than only the strong will survive Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Shift Show, where my number one goal is to give you tools, ideas, and the latest science to help you change athletes' lives. My name is Dave Tilly. Today in the podcast, we are finally going to dive into a highly, highly requested topic, which is going to be actually all about like compulsories and Excel gymnastics. So kind of moving away from the optional scene, which is something I know we have a lot of podcasts on because a lot of people want to learn about that. But uh, I think it's really important to give the proper attention to uh, the compulsory development program and then also the Excel program as well, because there's so many coaches, so many kids, so many parents who have uh, athletes that are in those programs and really want to learn about how to deal with some of the common um, you know, headaches or frustrations that come there. So we have Victoria Cunningham, who owns uh, Flight Athletics Academy in Tennessee. I asked her if she would come on and kind of chat about this. She's a gym owner, but also she does some great YouTube lives around her compulsory levels and lower levels that are going through bars or floor. She'll videotape them and do a Facebook Live or a YouTube Live, and she'll put them out, which is awesome. And so uh, I think she was a really good fit as someone who could come on and kind of share a perspective from, you know, she's in the trenches, she's actively coaching, but then also obviously she owns the gym she can give some good perspective on kind of how to go about that. So we took a really good deep dive into, you know, first starting off on like the technical development, like, okay, like in compulsory levels, level one, level two, level three, what things on bars, what things on beam, what things on floor and vault and shaping and drills and strength are really important and how we develop that flexibility. And then we kind of transitioned over into like more of the cultural, like what I call like the Pandora's box of, of compulsory, which is the reality of it is that you only have like, you know, seven hours per week. How do you get all that time in? Or you have some parents who are maybe really, really tough to deal with, or they kids themselves sometimes struggle with motivation or being able to really focus during those lesson plans. So uh, we have a lot of really great discussions about dealing with some of those kind of real life practical problems that coaches face, that parents face. And then finally, we switch over and talk more about the Excel program of like, okay, so maybe we're developing athletes that are working with different goals. They want to do other sports. They don't have as many hours in the gym because they want to do other hobbies or they don't want to be super competitive in gymnastics. Again, from like a, a technical development point of view, how do you help those athletes? But also how do you deal with the realities about like, you know, how do you spot these athletes when maybe they're really tall compared to you, or they don't have a lot of hours in the gym to do the physical preparation to get all the flexibility and strength they need to maybe develop these skills. How do you help those athletes have a fun experience, enjoy the program and also really make good progress and try to still be involved in the sport when maybe the goals have changed or maybe some of the expectations have changed. So I think this is a great discussion and I really think people are going to love this one. So please do me a massive favor. One is definitely check out anything Victoria puts on her YouTube channel because we want to support her, but also two is try to make sure that you guys just take the time to screenshot, you know, a favorite part of your, uh, the episode and toss it up on Instagram or a Facebook group or tweet it out or send it to your email list of your coaches and your gym and your community, because the more people who hear the information, we get feedback about what was useful and we make future podcasts based off of those ideas, right? So that's super helpful. Then also just rate and review the podcast on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher, wherever you listen to it. If you watch it on YouTube, uh, you know, give us a thumbs up and drop under the comment section. Let us know what you like. The more feedback we get from the reviews, the more feedback we get from the um, you know the ratings. We we again know what to do to help people more. So it's all about you. It's all about the community. This podcast came from a submission of questions from the community who said they want help with this. So happy to do these more down the road. But yeah, hope you guys enjoy this wonderful episode with Victoria. Victoria, how are you doing? 
I'm good. How are you today? I am great. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate your time on this uh, very popularly, popularly requested topic on the podcast, like compulsories, Excel, stuff like that. So thank you for being here. Mm -hmm. um, and so very quickly, a little background. So you're the owner of Flight Academy. Oh, did I, did I get it wrong? Flight Academy? Flight Athletic Academy. Oh, I was so close. All right. And that's in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Nice. Awesome. And you uh, have, I, I don't know you personally, but I've gotten to know you through your YouTube videos. And I think from my experiences, like, oh, I mean, we're pretty far into the podcast now, but we haven't had a lot of um, kind of compulsory or Excel or maybe not super high level optional stuff. And so I was looking for someone mm -hmm. who could help maybe shed some light on the struggles that is sometimes working with the lower levels. But then um, I have some preschool experience and Excel experience and optional and compulsory experience, but it's always better to get someone who's like really in it every single day. So um, I wanted to have you on it to go through some questions that we ran by you about, you know, how you go about this and, and just the common frustrations that I think a lot of compulsory coaches and Excel coaches maybe deal with. Um, yeah. So first, before we dive into those, for you, like, why do you still like to put yourself in, in the lower levels and into um, Excel as well? Like, what, what is it about that that's uh, attraction to you? Um, number one, I love that age group. I love the younger age group um, with the compulsory girls. Um, number two, I love having fun. And I feel like the Excel program lends itself to that really well. Because um, I just get to enjoy my time with them when I'm in the gym. And when I'm having fun, they're having fun because I'm the leader. My energy leads the entire practice. Um, so I think that that is definitely a big pull for me. And then number two, I think that the foundation of gymnastics is so important. Absolutely. And if you don't set a nice solid foundation right in the beginning, um, you're going to just spend the rest of their career fixing things. Mm. Um, and, and that's no fun for anybody. And I love when I give like a group of kids to an optional coach and they come to me and they're like, these kids are great. <laughs> this is amazing. I love coaching them. And I'm like, you're welcome. Um, yeah. That's really fun for me because and then I get to watch the kids. I get to sit back um, as the gym owner. And once the kids get up to their upper level coaches, I get to sit back and be like, look, they're learning so much. And, yeah. and that's really fun um, because I feel like I like what we were saying earlier. Um, it's not a punishment if you get put on coaching lower level kids. Um, it's not a punishment to coach preteen, compulsory, Excel. Those things are so important and they're mm -hmm. so integral into your gym. And um that's that's why I love it. Yeah. And I think you said something in, in there that's really important, which is like building a foundation. And so like, I think that term gets thrown around a lot in our community of coaches and stuff. Like you have to build a good foundation. It's all about the foundation. So for you, like, what is the foundation? Is that technical? Is that more of like stand in line and listen? Is that like, like, what does that mean to you as a foundation? All right. I think there's three parts to the foundation. Uh, first, most important parts, they have to love being in the gym. Mm hmm. Uh, if they don't love being in the gym, they're not going to make it to upper level gymnastics. They're going to do the classic quit as a level six going into level seven or level seven going into level eight. Um, it's not going to be fun for them. And so they have to they have to love the feeling of doing gymnastics. They have to love being in the gym. They have to love working hard um, and they have to learn all of these things like having integrity. Um, being able to train well when your coach is not watching you is a learned skill. Mm. It's not something that kids just inherently do. Um, and it's something that I talk about with my kids quite frequently. Um, so definitely training that integrity um, and the intrinsic motivation. Again, that's another learned skill. Um, with these kids. And so you have to talk to them about what, why are you doing this? Um, why are you working hard? What are your goals? How are you going to get there? So that's kind of part one. 
uh, making sure they love it and they and they understand why they're doing it. Um, and then part two is the technical part. Um, I try to look at every year I look at kids that I have coached in compulsory or in lower level Excel and see where they're at with their I guess mid to upper level since my gym's pretty new mid to upper level gymnastics um and I see like what what's a problem area that they're that they're struggling with right now and then I bring that back down to my compulsory and lower level excel coaching and I say okay we're struggling with leg tightness on bars in level 7 let's hit it really hard for levels 1 through 5 sure um and so that's the technical technical aspect is super important. So I always look at what are the problem areas? If I look at my level fives, I'm saying, what am I struggling with my, with my level fives? I try to undo that for my next uh, four years worth of kids. Sure. So my ones, twos, threes, and fours, I'm going to work on everything that I'm struggling with them uh, on level five. And so that technical stuff is, is really important. And then the third aspect is kind of what you said. Um, I teach my kids I tell them things like, I need you guys to stand and look like you're ready to learn. Mm. Um, I teach them how to respect their coaches and um, how to respect their teammates and how to respect themselves is one of the most important things because gymnasts are so incredibly hard on themselves. And I feel like that's a reason that a lot of kids will quit gymnastics moving into optional right. gymnastics. And I always tell them, you know, it's important that you are your own biggest cheerleader and that you talk to yourself the same way that you would talk to your teammates. So if you fall down, if your teammate fell down, you wouldn't be super hard on them. You wouldn't look at them and say, you know, um, what are you doing? I can't believe you just fell. You would say, it's all right, get back up. Mm. And you have to say the exact same thing to yourself. So that's one of the really important things that I feel like we need to establish in lower level gymnastics if we want them to have a good upper level career. Yeah, it's so funny you mentioned that because a couple of podcasts ago, I was talking to, it might have been Nick or somebody else in the podcast. We we're talking mm -hmm. about optional level gymnastics and literally the exact same things that you just mentioned, which is like even going from like optional to a leader, optional to college is like trying to maintain fun. But also like that approach that you just said, kind of like that double standard technique. I think a lot of, gymnasts are so hard on themselves. And I think a lot of this is built in the foundational layers, like what you said, but like they get to the optional years and they're worried about their skills comparison. And it's like, would you say this to your best friend? Like the things that you're saying to yourself right now, would you say to somebody who like fell or had a bad meet and you're like, yeah, man, you pretty much suck. I think you're awful. And you're like, it would never come out of your mouth. And so it's, it's just funny, the parallel between like Nick and I had that conversation about like the elites and the college system. And then now we're like literally talking about how important it is to build it with like the level twos about just being nice and respectful. So yeah. it's yeah. funny how that goes. Um, I definitely want to plant a flag there and something you said related to keeping it fun. And we'll come back to that maybe in the second section. But I know everybody clicked on this podcast and jumped in the podcast more for the technical stuff because they yeah. want to kind of get some ideas about more than nitty gritty stuff. So let's dive into maybe the technique side first, and we'll yep. circle back around to that. So let's right. start with kind of like what I think a lot of people want to know is like, I only have, especially in the younger levels, I only have so many hours in the gym, right? Yeah. Like there's so much stuff I have to do. Yeah. And I think that there's no more, um, I guess no more common complaint I hear from this kind of bracket of coaches is like, I have six to 12 hours in the gym and mm -hmm. 12 to 7,000 things to, to teach yeah. Yes. So for you. And I know Nick has talked about this a lot too. And so did Lindsay really well in her episode is mm -hmm. what are like some of those essential things that you feel like we have to get to these things every day, every week, like yeah. not even event to event just yet, but just like in your eyes as a coach, like we have to teach these technical things. Well, mm -hmm. if we even want to have a, a good chance for the down the road. Yeah. Um, shapes. Yeah. Shapes, 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 and body tension and handstands. Uh, those are like my like top three things. Like if you don't cover shapes, if you don't cover handstands, and if you don't cover body tension in a practice, it 
it's not going to lend well to upper level gymnastics. Every single practice, that's what you need to cover. And you need to kind of really think about what is your compulsory program for? My compulsory program is for creating optional level gymnasts. Um, do I really care so much about what they're going to score in level one and two? Not really. No, I, I don't. I mean, some people do. And, and if that's your gym, that's fine. But my goal is to create optional level gymnasts. And so if I miss something that's going to make them score better and in place of that, I'm working on handstands, shaping or body tension. That's a good day for me. Mm. And is that something that you're doing like is it all in the warm-ups? Is it on events? Is it like their strength conditioning? All practice long. <laughs> nice. All nice. practice long. All nice. the time working body tension. All the time working handstands and all the time working shapes. We do it in warm-up. We do it at every single event. We do it to finish out a practice. Okay. And so let's maybe break out each one of those things, right? So shapes mm -hmm. and then body tension and handstands. So like what's one thing you find yourself pretty much teaching your entire staff or you're doing yourself maybe for shaping first? Then we'll mm -hmm. go through the other two. Um, I think one of the things we're actually hitting really hard right now is flat hips and push-up positions. Yep. Um, flat hips is going to translate into so many things into their upper level gymnastics career. Um, candlesticks are a really great way to teach that. Uh, one of the things that I was just talking to my coaches about last night is how do you create flat hips? What's on the other side of the front of your hips, your bottom? So squeezing their bottom, getting them to understand that shape. I have them do something called a tree fall. Even in our toddler program, uh, we just have them stand up and fall flat and have their hips pressed up at mm -hmm. the end of that fall and yep. just completely tight. What I do there is I go and I look and I'm like, oh, I'm going to check to make sure your hips are flat. And I have their little friends look as well. I'm like, are her hips flat or are they piked? Mm. Um, and I kind of go through those shapes with them and they're like, oh, those are piked. And then we fix it. And, and then we're like, is that flat? And they're like, yep. And so uh, they're seeing it visually. So we do that all together. We do that in the toddler program. We do that in level one, level two, level three, all the way up. Um, once I teach them that, then we transition to the candlestick because mm. they're going to need to take that, you know, squeezing their bottom, keeping the hips pressed flat and move it into that, you know, now it's a candlestick um, and it becomes more difficult. And I use the word challenge a lot with my lower level kids. They love that word. For some reason, when you call something a challenge, they're just like, yes, like, let's go. I'm ready to do it. And so I always tell them, let's start with the candlestick with our arms down. So I have them start with the arms down because that's the easiest variation of the candlestick. Um, and then I have them pull one arm up just one. And a lot of people do, do the two arms up, but it's easier for them to control. And it also teaches them to use their, the sides of their core mm. to stay on that axis. Yep. So pull one hand up, hold there, pull two hands up, hold the candlestick. And I have their teammate watching them. So they'll have a partner or we'll do it all together, watching for the flat hips. And as soon as they start to lose that, we say, oh no, you have to put your arms back down. Mm. And then they put the arms back down. Um, they get back to that flat hip position. And I ask them again, constantly, I'm always asking them, which muscles are we squeezing to make this happen? I'm teaching my kids to be smart gymnasts so that when they go to optional level gymnastics and their coach says flat hips, they know exactly what to do. Mm. Like, oh, I squeeze my bottom for flat hips. That's easy. Yep. Um, but you have to teach that in lower level gymnastics. It doesn't just happen. You can't just say flat hips. You have to explain to them how to do that. So we have the kids watch and they say, are these hips flat? Then they can put 
the both arms up. They got it. Their hips are still flat. And then I say, all right, now's their challenge time. Can you pull your arms and put your fingertips on your thighs in your candlestick and hold it like that? Um, and the kids just love that because they just topple over at first. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, no. And we just, <laughs> it's fun. It's fun when they when they fail. It's yeah. okay um, because they're learning. And so I say to them like, oh gosh, now we got to start over. And we start them over with the arms down. And that's what you do is you start them over. When things aren't working, you, you increase intensity or you increase the difficulty. And if it doesn't work, it's okay. Now you know what point they're at. You start them from the beginning, sure. always from the beginning. So arms down, arms up, and then hands on the thighs. Sometimes I give them fun props to hold and like wave around. Um, yeah. that. But that's uh, one of the ways that I do that flat hip shaping. So I start with the tree fall and then I move on to the candlestick and we work like that. Um, and that works super well for everything in gymnastics, but in particular bars. And I know that's something that a lot of people struggle yeah. with. Yeah. Um, casts on bars. A lot of people think hollow, 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 hollow in the cast. But it's really the cast is kind of a, a different shape than a hollow. So if you're teaching like a hollow hold and you're trying to translate that into your casts, you're going to see that your kids are going to do that. Like, you know, you know what I'm talking about. We all yeah. see it where kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Their hips are really hollow. And how do the judges judge a cast from the lowest point of your body? Hmm. So if they're doing this nice, great push through pressure on the bar in the upper half of their body and their legs are just kind of drooping because the kids are thinking hollow. Yeah. Um, then, then the cast is going to be low and that's yeah. going to hurt them when you go to level four and level five and we've got cast angles. So what I always encourage my coaches to think about is having, they have two parts of their body, you know, the upper half and the lower half, hollow in the upper half and then flat hips in the lower half of that body. So we take that, all that work that we just did on flat hips and then we move it to a push-up position and in the push-up position, so important for their casts and it's so important for their clear hips in the future which is one of those struggle skills mm. they don't have that cast that's like nice and extended and pushing through they're never going to be able to drop underneath the bar with enough force to create that clear hip and mm. so start it with your level ones start it with your preschool program if you're an owner move that into your preschool pro push up positions all the time and we tell them turtle shell and the first thing your kids are going to do is they're going to push up in the middle of their back for a yeah. turtle shell you want to move that turtle shell to the upper part of their back. And the best way I think is I look, I see, is there a lot of space between their shoulder blades? Like if I could pour water in between their shoulder blades and it's just hanging out there like a little pond, then they're not pushed through enough. Um, yeah. And so I, I take my coaches over when I'm training them and I say, look at her shoulder blades. Do you see a little, can we make a pond there? That's I don't know why I said, it, but can we make a pond there? Works and then I have them push and I kind of push gently against them. And I say, push against me, push against me, push against me. And as soon as they do that, you're going to say they're going to pull their head in. And yep. so that's another one of those shaping corrections that you're going to need to give is to make sure that their head stays neutral while they're nice and round in their back. And a lot of it is um, pulling the shoulders forwards to round yep. and even like that a little bit. And kids don't really understand that they have that mobility there mm -hmm. with their shoulders. And so teaching them to do that. Um, with the younger kids, sometimes I put, like I take squeaky dots or I put toys underneath them. Um, the squeaky dots work really well because I put like the orange one and I'm like, it's on fire. You have to get <laughs> as far away from it as possible. Um, so just being really creative with the younger ones. But that's what I was telling them. Like it's on fire. And they have to like push yeah. to get their chest as far away from the fire as possible. Um, so that push-up position shape, super important. And on bars, um, 
when kids start learning casting, if they're doing well with the pressure through the bar and that nice push-up position shape, they start doing this mm. when they're casting and doing that opening of the shoulders. And so getting them to lean forwards. I know there's a ton of drills out there for this, getting them to like right. lean their head against stuff. Um, just making sure that you're really mindful of that as your kids are doing push-up positions. Um, I have their teammates sometimes check on their push-up. We always say, check them, check them. I don't know. But that's what gets the kids. They're like, oh, I get to do something. And if you actively engage their partner, then they're learning when they're not even doing things. Took the um, words in my mouth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so if you only have six hours a week, how great is it if your kids are learning the whole time they're there, not only when they're doing things, but you're constantly talking to them um, or getting them to look at their partners or fix their partners. And so I have them do is they press on the turtle shell and then they poke their belly to make sure it's tight. Mm -hmm. um, and then they try to pull their ankles apart. Yep. Um, and then we never touch their bottoms, but we always just say like, squeeze your bottom, squeeze your bottom, squeeze your bottom. And yep. they do that. Um, yep. And it's funny because I, in the last Q and a podcast we had, I talked about how important video review is for older athletes who are a little bit more mature. They understand how to watch themselves and they can see like a delay app on an iPad to see that it works mm -hmm. super well for someone who's maybe a little bit more mature for someone mm -hmm. who's younger though. Like one, the attention span is, is, is exactly there. <laughs> yeah, it is, Like you just said so beautifully is like, you only have so many hours in your week. So how can you maximize learning? How can you maximize reinforcing this like via osmosis? Well, it's, you know, some people are on the camp of like in preschool, it's like one person goes, we all watch them but that's not really time effective you can use that as a tool but i think mm -hmm. i like your idea a lot better which is like a partner system where you're watching someone go and then you're going it's a lot more time when you get to take turns and so yeah. that's something I, I definitely would highly recommend for anyone who is struggling to get more time out of that half hour bar circuit when they feel like they don't have enough room is try mm -hmm. to get that partner system because yeah watching someone shapes or asking for corrections is really really um super helpful for them yeah yeah and and i do that as young as my four-year-olds yeah um and they four-year-olds will will have the attention span enough to be able to help their partner. Sure. Um, so challenge them to do that. Yep. So that's really good for, I love that for like some of the shaping stuff. And we might come back to some, maybe some tumbling basics stuff, but let's talk about body tension because that's another thing that I hear from a lot of people that's complaining about. It's like, they're just like wet noodles all the time. They don't understand how to keep <laughs> body tension. And so like, I yeah. think that trickles into like the legs being an issue and all the bars stuff. I mean, put aside like mm -hmm. the growing and flexibility piece, but just basic body tension. I think mm -hmm. a lot of people struggle, particularly with core, uh, to try yeah. to get like a nice body tension. So what are you doing there to kind of maybe help that? Um, you have to find a way to make body tension exciting for them, which is a weird thing to think about because body yeah. tension is just not in general an exciting <laughs> yeah. thing. Um, some of the ways that I do it is I have kids start on one end of the floor with a medicine ball up above their head. Um, and they walk to the end. They start at one end and they walk all the way across the floor with a medicine ball up above their head. And we make it a competition. So I check them at the end. They're not allowed to move at the end. And I check and see, is there any space where I can see? I always tell them, I'm like, can I see light mm. in between here? Yeah. And I get them to do this. And I'm like, no, no, I can't see any light. Um, and I check at the end. And whoever I can't see light, they win, they get a high five, they love it. Yeah. So that's like super fun for them. But I'm always telling them, check, make sure um, I can't see any light next to your ears. So that's mm -hmm. one of the key words that I tell the kids that somehow gets them to understand that maximum extension. And I teach them the word maximum extension. So I, I use different terms, but I also like to teach them um, like really technical terms so that 
when they do go to their upper level coaches and their upper level coaches, like every time you touch the ground, maximum extension, they're going to know exactly what that means and how to do it. So I teach them the term maximum extension. This is how we're going to do it. We're going to cover our ears with our shoulders and we're going to squeeze really, really tight. One of the things that I do, sorry, I was just thinking, one of the things I do is I have them learn it laying down. Um, yep. Yep. And, and we do it every single time. You know, when we do that tree fall, we're teaching a flat hips, the exact same tree fall. I'm also teaching that maximum extension shape. And so I'm going to take my hand. I'm going to put it underneath their, um, their back. And I'm going to say, press down on my hand, press down on my hand. Cause a lot of kids are going to have that really like archy lower back when they fall. So you can have flat hips and still be pressing down with your core. Mm. Um, but kids, uh, struggle with that cause they think flat hips means arch my back. Mm. Um, but put your hand underneath their back and, and say, press down on my hand, press down on my hand. And most kids are going to understand that if you struggle with that. And well, if your kid struggles with that and then they're not quite getting that pressing down and they're just doing that, like sucking in, um, yeah. then tell them to laugh or make them laugh. Yeah. And when they start laughing, they're going to engage their core in the way that you want them to. And then you say, yes, that's what I want. Do that sure. every single time. Sure. Um, but definitely. Yeah that have it do it laying down and then i check make sure their legs are tight too yep. at that point so they do their tree fall flat hips check make sure their core is engaged correctly and i, I want them I'm, i tell them i'm like you guys should look like a rectangle hmm. become a rectangle as close to a rectangle as you can be i don't want a lot of shapes that just want a nice straight line um so hand underneath their back engage their core check their legs check their hips and then um once they start getting better at that i have them do the tree fall with their arms up. And the tree, well. Is the tree fall backwards just so the uh, audio listeners can understand? Like they're standing here and they're going flat back to a mat? Yes. Got it. Okay. Flat back to a mat. Cool. Um, and we use like the fluffy mats or a resi or mat. Resis, yep. um, don't, I wouldn't do it on just an eight inch mat because I've tried that. And, and it doesn't <laughs> test it yourself first. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was making the kids do it and they're like turning my head. I was like, no, it's not. And I tried it and I was like, okay, you know what? We're actually going to move up to the resi now. Yeah. I, uh, I, I would notoriously would always start testing the Ochenko and soup drills too. I'm like, is this too hard? And I tried like, oh my goodness. Yeah. We're not going to do that one. At all. <laughs> um, yeah. And to go back to another thing I think is really helpful kind of on the laying down flat as I've learned this from Nick and a couple of the people is mm-hmm. I think un- people underappreciate like the segmental approach to tightening too. So like if you lay someone on their back and their like hands are above a floor bar or on their stomach and mm-hmm. just attack one thing at a time, right? Like, okay, just yeah. squeeze your core, but don't like really round or really arch. Just try to stay flat, laugh like mm-hmm. you're saying like that. So do just the core, then relax. Okay. Now give me flat hips, good tight bottom. Now relax. Now give me tight knees. Now relax. Now give mm-hmm. me nice night te- uh, te- toes together then relax. Now give me maximal extension, then relax. I think if you go through each thing with younger athletes, like one by one by one, it's a lot to focus on. If you say like, okay, be tight because be tight means like everything has to be really locked in. So my mm-hmm. suggestion and to maybe uh, augment what you're saying, which is great is start like from the head and like, okay, reach away from the bar. And if you put two kids opposite side of a bar and they can push into each other, the bar won't slide. So they go like ears, then, you know, chin position, then core, mm-hmm. then hips and flat. And then you can relax everything. Say, okay, now turn everything on at the same time. And mm-hmm. you can go through, that's a really great bar warm up. I use that one quite a yeah. bit. So that would no, be my suggestion. Great. Yeah. Yep. And then lastly, I think, um, handstands, God, this could be a whole podcast in itself, but, oh, yeah. um, what, um, just a couple things before we move on, like, what are you doing for like, maybe not bars, but just maybe like in a general warm up or anywhere to try to reinforce the handstands, just particularly in this age bracket where like, we know their shoulder strength is probably not where it needs to be to be like really, really great. How are mm-hmm. you changing that to make sure you can still work the handstand shapes? Um, again, start with lying down. Yeah. Uh, I always start them with lying. They probably do. They do so many lying handstands. Anytime I'm trying to set things up. 
I'm like, oh, we are definitely using our time wisely because I'm like moving mats around and I'm like, everybody in your lying handstand. Um, and and so that's a good way to use your time efficiently. Lying handstands all the time. Just have them lay down, peeking through their eyelashes. I tell them, look through your eyelashes, look at your fingertips, make sure there's no space there. I tell them bottom rib up off the ground, but tight squeezing, feet together. Um, and then I come around and I, I poke underneath their bottom rib um, and I tell them like, let's really use that shoulder correctly. Cause you see like, there's a lot of this going on. Um, so I get them to make sure our shoulders are correct and they're looking the correct way. That's one of the really important things with kids. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Making sure they know where to look at all Visual, times. Yep. Um, but with the handstands, tons of lying handstands. And then I teach a handstand at every single angle. We start a handstand on like a wedge, just like a flat wedge. I do that same lying handstand there. And then I just build that angle up. Mm. And then we have a vertical handstand, but I almost never just start kids on a vertical handstand. I start them lying and I build them up angle by angle by angle all the way until we get to vertical. And yeah. then once we get to vertical, I still don't even do vertical handstands. Then I start with half handstands. Right. Um, so I do I only your upper bike. half. Yeah. 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 Um, and then I'll do only the upper half of your body is in a handstand. I do that for weeks or months. And then I stick one leg up. And they go with that leg. And I'm like, no, no, let's get that leg in line. Yeah. Um, and we do that for weeks. And then I do this. I have them go from the one leg handstand in that half handstand position with one leg up. I have them bring the second leg off the mat, meet their first leg, and then immediately come back. Because what's every lower level kid's problem with the handstand is they're doing a million handstands at home on the playground. And every single time they kick up, they go straight into a bridge or fall flat on their back. And you're like, oh, Yikes. Yeah. Is their core is just not <laughs> doing anything. They're just we kicking the legs over. It's all just momentum for them at that point. Um, but if you teach it angles and then go all the way up to vertical, um, and then you start with the half handstand for you. I mean, you can do them both at the same time. That's sure. just how I do it. Um, but do the half handstand, one leg up, bring the other leg to it. And then come back down to the mat. Even if I don't, I don't care how they get back down to the mat, they fall like that, they pike down, anything but kick over. And I tell them, I'm like, no, that's not an option. You can't fall over. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I can't. I'm like, no, you have to come back to the mat. <laughs> and if yeah. they do it, I'm like, oh, try again. Yeah. Um, and then they just start to understand, like, oh, I'm not supposed to just flop around. Sure. Yeah. And another really good gem too that I got from Nick at singing his praises here is, is actually like your back flat against the low rail with your knees bent and straddling around the rail. So it's hard to visualize, but like you're kicking up oh. back flat to the rail, bend your yeah. knees and then hook into a little straddle. And it prevents mm -hmm. them from like that over fall arts that like you said, like in their backyard, they're just falling to a bridge and going back and forth. So mm -hmm. I found that's like super helpful for the younger ones to try to grasp as well. Yeah. No, that's um, that's very good. I think those are all fantastic stuff. So let's maybe dabble into the other events now. So let's talk a little mm -hmm. bit about, let's go to floor next. So like maybe just some basic mm -hmm. tumbling things. Like yeah. um, what, what do you think is most important to try to focus on at the lower levels there? Um, cartwheels. Uh, I think a lot of people skip really fast into the round off. Um, and I would make sure that you spend an ample amount of time developing the perfect cartwheel. Um, I like to teach the kids to turn their second hand in. Um, towards the first hand and to look underneath that armpit and watch their foot touch the ground. Mm. Um, and we start that in the toddler program and then we bring that all the way up through. But that's one of the things that's just going to help them with 
with everything. And if you're just going to help them when they put it on beam, it's going to help them on vault. It's going to help them keep their tumbling straight when they want to do your Chenko, or that's going to help them when they want to flip a souk. Um, and so spend an ample amount of time doing your cartwheels and making sure that they are correct. One of the things for cartwheels is to do a cartwheel with a deficit. Um, mm. And so set up two panel mats, have a little gap in between um, and start teaching them that turnover really early. Cause I know that's something that like a lot of optional coaches come to me and say, is like, my kids is what well, don't turn over their tumbling. They don't turn over their tumbling. It's round off squat, back handspring, yeah. squat, other yeah. back handspring. Like, um, and and so that's one of the things, get them to tumble like with the deficit. So they put their hands down on the floor and then they have to step together up onto a mat. Um, and so they start working that turnover really early. Um, we so they're on a panel mat going down to the floor just to make sure mm -hmm. the visual is there. Yes. On yep. a panel mat. And I have them uh, start kneeling. Yeah. It's um, huge one, yep. Yeah. I have them start kneeling, put their hands on the floor and then kick up to a mat Got it. and we teach them so many different variations of a cartwheel. Um, so that's why I think I spend so much time on a cartwheel because I'm teaching them so many different ways to cartwheel. I teach them lunge, cartwheel, lunge. I teach them kneel, cartwheel, step together. I teach them kneel, cartwheel, leave hands on the ground, hinge, fall back. Mm. Um, there's so many good cartwheel variations. Um, so don't be in such a rush to skip to the round off. Like I'm with my current level two group. We haven't even touched a round off yet. Yep. Um, and, and for most, you know, most gymnasts who are going down the artistic pathway, three of the four events are going to require if they do your chinko, even if not, if they do a souk though, it's still kind of a, a great cartwheel as well as important, mm -hmm. but like three of the four events are going to have a very important need for a good a cartwheel that would become yep. a round off or an aerial or, you know, a variety of other things, front walk over all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Now, um, one of the things that they can skip right into is the back handspring, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I it's love doing that as early as possible. And I don't even like, I don't let them do a backhand. Well, I mean, I do with the play around with the back handspring on occasion. I'm like, all right, let's just have fun. But 99% of what they're doing is me carrying them into a tight arch handstand and then snap fall to push up position or snap fall to your knees. Um, well, not really fall. And yeah. then try to get the chest up because, so that's one of the things that like, um, a lot of lower level coaches feel like they they don't know what comes next. One of the things that's going to come next is getting your chest up out of a back handspring. Mm. Um, it will come on vault, it, like they're your chanko. They, they need to be able to get their chest up out of a back handspring um, in order to flip your chanko. And so if you teach that from level one, if you start kids with sit back, jump to a tight arch handstand, make sure they're looking at the correct you know, their head's in the right spot. Everything's good. And I have them even do three shoulder shrugs when they're in that tight arch handstand. This is just going to help them in the future. There's nothing, you can't hurt them by doing shoulder shrugs in a tight arch handstand. Yeah. Do tons of them and then have them flip their chest up, land on the knees again with hips flat. It's, mm. It all comes full circle. <laughs> yeah. And particularly with the younger ones who maybe aren't as tolerant to some of the higher reps because they're so young, but just mm -hmm. doing them on softer surfaces, right? Like you can do handstand bounces on a tumble track, right? In a tight yeah. arch position or on a sting mat over a board. You could do so many of those and develop those shapes and those foundational elements without being worried about hurting like growth plates. Obviously these kids are really young and you don't want to go super crazy, but I think that's like the best coaches that I've noticed at the compulsory level who then become great optional coaches are they find a million different ways to work these shapes, these positions, make it fun but in a low impact way when they're like six or seven years old that you're not worried about something happening but you're setting the foundation for like the 11 12 13 where they really can do these things
Yeah. Yeah. Where I was talking about them going onto their knees with hips flat and chest up, we always do that onto a fluffy mat. Sure. I, I would not recommend having your kids ever tumble onto <laughs> no. the floor onto their knees. <laughs> Don't all. recommend. Um, yeah. But in like level three, four, when you are starting to develop that round off, it's that same thing. Um, you're going to want them to be able to stand their chest up out of a round off and be able to get that turnover. And I have them do round off with their hands looking underneath their armpit and stand the chest up really quick to the knees on a fluffy mat with the hips flat. Yeah. That's great. That's awesome. And I think the natural progression to this, when we go to like talk about vault now is like, I, I think I want to say and sing your praises. Like there's I, for me, there's no more important place, maybe bars. I don't know. It's kind of up for debate where like the basics and that body tension is so, so important is like the run and hitting the board. I mean, mm -hmm. we know multiple discussion groups we're a part of where like everyone is like these hand, I can't do these front handsprings. They're loosening the board, the shoulder angles, there's no power. And everyone's like, fix the run and fix Take the body run. tension on the yeah. board. Like 90% yeah. of vault and compulsories does come from, you know, hopefully growing <laughs> and hitting yeah. the board hard. Harder, but also like so many kids I think struggle because of just like their basic run and their basic stretch jump off mm -hmm. of the board is really oh, stretch jump. Yeah. yeah. So can you go into that with vault, maybe stretch yes. jump? Front yes. stuff? Uh, a lot of people skip level one. I do not skip level one. A lot of people skip level two. I also do. I skip level two, <laughs> but I love the stretch jump. The stretch jump is the best thing ever because the first thing that it teaches kids is to keep their chest up on the board. Mm. which is what your biggest issue in level three where kids want to touch the mat before they even hit the springboard. And you're like, what was that? I had a kid actually <laughs> just two days ago, my level ones. I was like, let's just try handstand flat pass. I just wanted to see. And she like put her face on the springboard. I was like, I'm not, <laughs> like, I don't know how that happened, but like, it, it wasn't right. I was like, okay, never mind. We're going back. I love when kids take your directions very literally. And you're like, yeah, that is exactly what I said, but please, I didn't want you to actually lay on the springboard. <laughs> <laughs> but kids love putting their chest down on the springboard. Yeah. And what does a stretch jump teach? Chest up on the springboard. And then also, the stretch jump teaches pushing through your legs yeah. and going up. Flat hips. All, <laughs> yeah, yeah, flat hips. Taking all that forwards momentum and then changing the direction with it. Mm. And, and that's something that a lot of kids don't understand. They're like, I'm barreling towards it. I'm going so fast. And they just plow into it. Uh, and if you don't teach your kids to change the direction of their power, then what are they, what are they ever going to do with that? I mean, it happens in tumbling. It happens in vaulting. That's one of the most important things is taking your power and being able to put it where you want it. Sure. Um, and running really fast, hitting a springboard and going up is hard. Yeah. It's really hard for kids. Um, my favorite, favorite, favorite thing to do with anybody starting vaulting is I call it the rocket ship launch. I mean, you can call it what you want, but that's that what works. I call it. I stand on the resi mat and I put my arms out and they like hook onto my arms um, and we use the trampoline springboard for this. Um, and I just bounce them on the trampoline springboard. And each time they come up, they have to straighten their legs, flatten their hips and push through their toes. Yep. Um, teaching them how to punch through a springboard. So we do one, two, three, and then I kind of carry them up and, and lift them. And they have to maintain that like nice tight body position until they land on the resi in a plie. So I mean, bent knees. Um, yep. And so I say, one, two, three, rocket ship. And, or we say like take off. And then I say bend right as they hit the mat. And they have to do that like nice landing with the, you know, the safe landing with the hips. I mean, legs, hip width apart, bent knees. Everybody's talked about that, but we do that. Um, and so that is like so important. I love that. I call it the rocket ship launch. I mean, yeah, it's great. You really call it what you want, but it's fun. Um, and it's a blast and off in our gym. So you're close. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> um, and 
And then, you know, when you put the run to it and they have that like in the back of their brain, like, so I tell them run and then rocket ship launch yourself. Then they do a stretch jump. Um, yeah. And, and that I really want to definitely point out for what it's worth. I think um, I can think off the top of my head, three super duper high level coaches that I think people would probably regard some of the highest. So Nick being one of them, but also a division one coach. And then also one of the elite national team coaches in Canada, they have all told me that stretch jumps and front layouts over things is what their elites warm up with. Right. So when you talk about like, why is this so important and what can you teach at level one, that's going to show up someday if they want to go to that high level, like mm -hmm. literally these the athletes are still using high front layouts over the vault table, or if they're not maybe into the pit over blocks. So like it never goes away because it's such a fundamental element of whether you want to do a hand front, whether you want to do a, just get the power, development for your chanko like that's so so important to develop so something mm -hmm. as basic as a high stretch jump like if, if international elite people are doing it then it's probably good for us to do at level one you know it's going to show yeah. up down the road somewhere yeah no i love stretch jumps i i tell people i'm like do not skip the stretch jump do not skip the stretch jump it's so 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 important and don't and don't just like do it all right everybody one stretch jump and then we'll move on like yeah. make sure the stretch jumps are good yeah exactly and talk it's about a fun thing you can do, right? Like you go back to contests and all that stuff. Like who can jump yeah. the highest? Like that's like yeah. kids get fired up for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So second half of the front handspring, I would be remiss to not talk about like actual handspring exits. Yeah. So like mm -hmm. I, that's a big struggle. Is people just like murn, like mush on the table. So what's what's working on like post flight type stuff for you? Or just like I would say just like impact on the table to actually yeah. have a good repulsion is maybe a better. Honestly, working the angled handstand and explaining to the kids what angle they need to come into the table at. Mm. I think my mistake when I, cause I, I had no guidance when I was first starting yeah, coaching. We'll, we'll get to that soon. Yeah. <laughs> but my mistake was I thought I was like, turn over, get into the handstand and then hit the table or hit the mat for the handstand flat bag or hit the table for the front handspring. Like turn over really fast, heel drive and be in your handstand. But catching yourself in a handstand is incredibly hard. Like yeah. if you just think about it, if somebody dropped you, yeah, and you just had to catch yourself in a handstand. Like even the strongest person, is their body tension really gonna gonna shine through in that moment? And they're just gonna go boom and just like pop back up. Like that's really hard. Um, mm -hmm. If you think about doing a handstand pop, when I do a handstand pop, like I come into it, like I go into the ground, I go right. in at an angle, um, and then I come up at vertical which is essentially what you want to happen on vault. You come in at an angle and you pop off by vertical. Mm. Um, I have some really big, huge compulsory vaulters and I spend a lot of time chest up, but then get into the table. Don't, you don't have to float. Like it looks beautiful. It really does. When people just float into yeah. a front handspring, I'm like, wow, <laughs> that's not progressive. I mean, <laughs> Really but, like straight up and like, like they cross. Yeah, yeah, it looks the first half looks gorgeous. You're like, that's just amazing. But then nothing happens after that. Yep. And so teaching your kids, although the chest is up on the board, you still have to get into the table, like get in and get in at an angle and then teaching that angled handstand with body tension. So getting them to do an angled handstand and and just hold the shoulders up, teach that yeah. endurance there first off of just being able to hold those shoulders up and hold your body and then start teaching them with a shrug um, and then put mats behind the table, have them come in at an angle and try to block and get up as high up onto those mats as you can. Um, but I think that the second half of that vault, it, it's all just a result of what yeah. happens in the first half. I totally agree. And I think anyone who is really struggling with front handsprings, my advice and what I've learned from other people and I've heard from other people is like, if you, if you fix 
or work on the run, the board tension stretch jump, and then the tight angled handstand. Like I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I could bet money on the fact that it's going to get a lot better if you mm-hmm. perfect even one of those three things. If you yeah. work on your run power and you work on body tension on the springboard or shaping, and then yeah. you work on some of the angle handstand, you're probably going to get a lot of progress uh, just from working the front part, not even worrying about what happens after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then, but that's the thing is I feel like a lot of coaches will train the second half of the vault. But if the first half is is done right, and then I just tell them, just stay in a handstand. Yeah. Stay in a handstand because gravity is going to flip them over to their feet. Yeah. Um, and like a lot of coaches will try to teach like different shapes, but and and shapes that will make them like stick. And your goal might be to stick a front handspring. I don't really care if my kids stick a front handspring. Yeah. I'm like, you're never really going to need that <laughs> because anything they're going to be sticking in the future is, is going to be a flip. Probably. Yeah. Backwards. Yeah. Most likely. I mean, I don't really have many kids that do front hands. Front hands being front full. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. Um, front full. the majority of your kids are going to be sticking back flipping balls. Right. Um, so I don't really focus so much on sticking the front. Hand. If my kids run out of a front handspring, I'm like, yay. That's awesome. That was yeah, great. great. That was huge. But I just, I just tell them hit the, hit the table at an angle, come off at vertical, just fly in a handstand shape and just hold your handstand shape and then bend your knees when you land. Yep. Yeah. Tons of super helpful stuff there. And I think we have to, we have to touch on being maybe like particularly jumps and leaps. Cause I think that you yeah. know goes to floor more, but yeah. that is another very common thing is like the struggle is so real to get leaps up and jumps up and barely having tight form. So mm-hmm. how are we approaching beams? I think a lot of the same principles apply from like the, the cartwheels, the shaping, the body tension, like for most of the acro stuff, that's mm-hmm. going to be very similar to the other events, mm-hmm. but I think jumps and leaps are very uniquely challenging on being for younger athletes. So mm-hmm. how do you approach that? And what are your best ideas there? Um, jumps and leaps with kids on beam. I think the most important thing that people um, don't spend enough time on in lower level gymnastics in regards to that is uh, being comfortable on the beam. And so your kids are going to be better at jumps and leaps if they're comfortable on the beam. Um, so don't forget to spend time during warm up making sure your kids are, are getting comfortable on the beam. I have my kids, we do this one thing, um, and this definitely helps them with their leaps in the future, uh, where I have them. I have, I don't, I only have three beams. I have kids on three beams and I've got like three kids in each line. So I have like nine kids going. And, um, I tell them get up on the beam and get going really quick. I don't let them like just spend a lot of time climbing onto the balance beam. These are even my little ones, my level ones, and my level twos. And I have them get up and I go step, 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 step off. And if they don't make it to the end of the balance beam, by the time I say off, they have to get off anyways. And so sometimes they're still climbing up and they're like, wait, 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 I didn't even get up. And I'm like, oh, oh, well, go to the back of the line. And they go back in line. And then the next time they're like climbing up yeah, there, yeah. they're ready to go. Um, and so I limit the amount of steps. I think I do like, just depends on, on which, because if they have really short legs, I do like seven steps. Yeah. Um, and then if they're a little taller, I'll do like five or six steps. And they start increasing um, the speed and the length of their steps. And what I'm looking for when they do this is where, where are their feet aimed? Um, cause that's going to help them with their leaps and jumps mm. and they take long steps on the balance beam. Are they comfortable landing on one foot and well, are they comfortable landing on two feet too for jumps that we do, um, one foot in front of the other, just jump down the balance beam like that flat feet doesn't have to be pretty. I don't care for level ones and twos, just can they land with their feet aimed straight down the balance beam? I let them do a little bit of turnout if they want to, but they cannot have their feet turned in and in, I mean, like 
turn towards their belly button, I guess is the best way yep. to think about that. Um, but as they're doing those long, fast steps, I'm starting to look and I'm like, which of these kids is starting to turn in? Who naturally starts to turn in? And I go back and I, and I try to fix those kids um, because, again, when they make it up to optional level gymnastics, that's one of the things that the coaches are always like, this kid won't won't get their foot straight when they're landing a back handspring, won't get their foot straight when they're landing a leap. Um, and to square out their hips and keep them on the balance beam, you want their feet to be in the correct direction. And so get them comfortable on the balance beam and make sure their feet are facing in the correct direction. And then if those two things are working for you and your kids are comfortable on a balance beam and they know how to put their foot down correctly, then you can start working leaps and jumps. Mm. And it's the same kind of deal that we were talking about on vault where they have to be able to do a stretch jump. Mm-hmm. If they cannot do a stretch jump, the rest of it's not going to work. So can they push through their legs and point their toes when they come off of the balance beam? Um, or do they just do that little hop? Yeah. They just pull, pull, pull. And and that's one of the things that I say to the kids. I say, push the balance beam. And that's, that's a good cue word to use with little kids. I say, push the balance beam. I want the balance beam to go through the ground. Push the balance beam as far away from you as it can go yeah. rather than jump higher, jump higher, yeah. higher, because yeah. they don't understand how to do that yet. And so with the compulsory kids, the lower level kids push. Yeah. So much of jumps and leaps does come from just like confidence and getting higher, right? Getting more time in the air to actually complete your half turn or whatever it is in the level they're working on. Um, and I think this naturally rolls into the conversation, which is the next step after events are done is kind of talking about strength and flexibility and stuff like that. So in relation to jumps and leaps, are there things in particular that you're working on with like hip flexibility, active flexibility with the younger ones to try to set the foundation for older years? Or is this something for you that like through just the technical development, you try to uh, try to gain some of that? Because I'm curious your approach to like, how much time you would spend on flexibility and strength and stuff like that with the younger ones when you only have so many hours in the gym. Yeah. Um, let's, I'll use my level twos as an example, sure. because I feel like that's, um, they're in the gym. Let me see how many hours a week. Um, seven and a half hours a week. And what's okay. the average age just for context people? Uh, yes. I don't know. And I have seven. Sure. Cool. They're, they're pretty young. Um, yeah. I mean like we've got like one nine year old, one five year old. Yeah, of course. Um, right. So, but six and a half, seven, uh, and they're in the gym seven and a half hours a week, um, which is not a lot to get everything done. Um, but they will do a 30 minute warm up, and inside their 30 minute warm up, there's general conditioning. Um, I mean, we're not like trying to like gain muscle during (laughs) warm up, but there's a little bit of conditioning uh, in warm up. We do about five minutes of just general cardio to warm up. Um, But they do definitely do conditioning during warm up. And it's things like, um, you know, W's, Y's, T's and I's, um, lunges. Um, I have them do straddle press rolls. If anybody doesn't know what that is, it's press into a straddle, um, miss their feet in forward roll. I have them do press handstands for warm up. I have them do um, put their legs out in front of them, hands past their knees, lift up to their face. Um, those we do very minimal, like we don't do any static stretching during warm up, but we do a lot of like kicks, um, and straddles and, um, things like that. So we are working there. They're like hip flexors in their Mm. splits. Um, there we do like the split prep work where they have to press and come up, press and come up to work like the back hip flexor. And then we do put the 
front leg straight out in front of them, lean down, and I say chin to shin, chin to shin, and just stretching out that hamstring. Um, and they do like 15 reps of each. So they're stretching, you know, 15 times on the back hip flexor, 15 times yeah. on the hamstring in the front, um, and then switch legs, do it like that. Then they go side to side for the um, middle split. Um, and then when it comes to like actual conditioning, um, with level one, two, and three, I set aside very minimal time for only conditioning. Right. Um, because they just hate that. But if you <laughs> yeah. condition them the entire time they're there, they never know. Right. Um, so I incorporate conditioning into every single event. My entire bar practice is conditioning. Yeah. Like the lower level. They, like they do very minimal, like actual skill work. They just condition the whole time they're at bars. We do a bunch of light conditioning when we're on vaults because if their hamstrings are killer by the time they're level four, they're going to vault huge. Yep. Like if they have a massive hamstrings as a level four and they know what body tension is, that's it. That's all you need for a good front handspring. It works every time. Um, and so what I do is when I do set aside time for conditioning, um, which is 10 to 20 minutes per practice, and that's it for the lower level kids um, where I call it conditioning. And it's important what you say because yeah. you want them to understand there's a time where you're going to need to condition, yep. but you don't want to do that for a half hour to 45 minutes with your level twos because Boring, yeah. they're going to hate their life and they're going to quit. Um, so 10 to 20 minutes. And what I do during that time is I don't even condition during that conditioning time. I just teach them how to condition. Yep. So we use a pool noodle and do deadlifts. Like they're not getting stronger doing that. Um, yeah. But is that going to help them? For so this is one, two, and three. Is that going to help them in level four and five when I actually start teaching them how to deadlift? Yes. Yeah. Because they're already going to know what to do and it's not going to be completely foreign to them. But conditioning time for my levels one, two, and three, my actual time that I set aside for conditioning is only to teach them how to condition because these kids are active. They're on the playground doing monkey bars so many hours a day. They're playing around at home like, these are your competitive gymnasts. They love working out. They are mm -hmm. active all the time. They're going to get stronger. And if you condition during your events and it's gymnastic specific conditioning, they will like it. Yeah. They will enjoy that because they enjoy gymnastics. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And I think that you are just like singing the praises of many other people who I think do this. Like probably like the people who really understand what it's like to coach compulsories is how tough a 45 minute or half hour conditioning is with the young kids. But yeah. I agree. Warm up side stations, like always kind of be mixing is probably the best way to go. But also too, like you said, like there's so many ways to make a contest out of it or make a game out of it or make yeah. it a fun thing when you do it, but mm -hmm. it, it doesn't become monotonous. And I think people mm -hmm. under, there's that nice balance of you have to do this. It's not the most fun thing in the world, but at the same time, if you only have so many so many hours in the gym you can maybe progress that in everywhere and, and make it a little more bearable for sure and it's the same with flexibility that's yeah. why i do flexibility i yeah. set 10 minutes aside and i just teach them how to keep their hips square in a split yeah. and i teach them how like we do something called um snow angels where they start with their palms down on the ground and they bring them up and they yeah. try to get their pinkies together and um so i i teach them about stuff in one two and three and then four and five i do modified versions of what my optional kids are doing sure. yep. so that they're ready when they come to optional. And when I say modified, if they are strong enough to not modify it, then I don't modify it. Yeah. And I tell them they're extra cool and they love it. 
Yeah, that's great. So I think that's a fantastic way to start this whole uh, conversation. I think the technical stuff's amazing. Now that we've kind of like gotten listeners maybe a little bit more <laughs> comfortable with it, I do want to open the Pandora's box on compulsory gymnastics a little bit because there are some some areas of the this type of uh, level that are definitely concerning. So mm-hmm. I want to go back to that flag that we planted before, which was like keeping it fun, right? Which yeah. is like keeping this lower level fun. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to name certain parts of the country or what countries I've heard this from. <laughs> but I have heard and I know for a fact that there are some compulsory levels that are literally like seven-year-old kids, eight-year-old kids that are training like 15, 20, 22 plus hours a week. And they're trying to literally win the golden medal of level two gymnastics, right? So like my question to you for some of the advice to people is like, one is how do you keep that intensity that is enjoyable and fun? And this is not like we're making hardcore level two Olympians. But also, <laughs> no. My level twos are certainly not Olympians. Yeah, yeah. Some places in the world, you would think we're going to Paris 2023 for whatever yeah. we call it for level two gymnastics. Like you would for think level, two, the level two Olympics, the yeah, bronze like Olympics. I love na- that. National team is going to be stretch jumps. If you would think of how hard these people train. So I guess the combination of the intensity of the practice itself, because some I see some places that are literally like screaming almost at like children. And I'm like, bro, what is going on right now? Like you forget what you're doing. But also the hours per week gets unbelievably out of control. Like there's seven-year-olds doing 15 hours per week, 16 hours per week. And then let's let's chat, let's chop that on the coach's side. And then we have to be realistic and think about parents because I think the parents are a big sometimes problem in this level too. So let's just start with the coaching side of like what we can do as an organization to reflect and make sure that we're, we're introspective to work. So how do you deal with the intensity slash hours conversation to make progress, but not make this become level two stretch jump Olympics? Yeah. Um, well, I think ultimately I think about how many hours do I want level tens to be in here? Mm. Um, and I go backwards from there um, because I am not going to train my compulsory kids like my optional kids because they're compulsory. So you have to recognize that there is a difference. And if you want your kids to get to optional, you have to allow them to have a life. You, it, It's okay. It's like the same thing where they say like distance makes the heart grow fonder. Mm. If you give your kids too much gymnastics, they won't love it anymore. But if you give your kids a little under what they want, yeah. And they want to be in the gym. They want to be in the gym. And so with like my level fours, they're doing like 16 hours. No, level five, sorry. 16 hours. Um, they want to be in there that 18 hours. Uh, but they're not. I won't let them. Because if you leave that little bit to be wanted, then they, they just work harder when they're there too. They're like, I want to I wanna be in here 18 hours. I want to do what the optional kids are doing. I want to do that. Then they they work for it. They're like, oh, okay. If I want to be in here that much, then I'm going to put in the work to get to that point. Um, it's the same thing like the level twos. I I make a big deal out of when their hours get raised when they go to level three or when the level threes go to level four. I'm like, oh my gosh, you get to be here more. That's so exciting. And they don't believe anything you say. Yeah. So you tell them it's exciting that they get to be here more. They're like, yeah, it is. It's so great. It's I'm just so excited. Um, and so that's what you do. You, you have to leave a little bit to be desired for the kids. Sure. You sure. can't just overload them with gymnastics. And like I said, you're going to just, you're going to put that flame out if you if you forget that these kids are playing on a playground and that's gymnastics. Mm-hmm. I want my kids to have enough energy and enough zeal to go to a playground and do a 100,000 pullovers on that bar. Mm-hmm. Because like, 
I mean, and I know like a lot of people are like, I don't want my kids to do gymnastics at home. And I don't want my kids to teach themselves gymnastics at home, but I yeah. want them to play. Yeah. I want them to love gymnastics. And like, I used to go home and coach gymnastics to my bitty babies. And, like, <laughs> I always wanted to be a coach. I always wanted to own a gym. I never really wanted to be a professional gymnast, but like, you can't, you can't do too much of it. Um, and I think it's so important because people think like, it's about these short-term goals. They're like, we have to win level three, like level three for some reason is like. The crazy set in, man. I see it. It is wild. The I'm like, moon, my level three moon score comes like a, out and the werewolves come out sometimes. Yeah. But my, my level threes will score like a 36 and they're like last place. And I'm like, it's okay, guys. You're going to be a great level six one day. Like, no. cause they will be, they will be. It's, you don't like, you don't have to do the level three Olympics to make a good optional. It's just not necessary. Um, and yeah, so I just, I don't know. I no. You have to understand the difference between compulsory and optional. And you have to understand that your kids won't get there if you just, well, some kids will. And a lot of coaches will think like, oh, if you can't handle it, then you're not cut out to be a champion. But that's not the right way to be thinking about it. If you want to have a big optional team, the way you need to think about it is how can I cultivate an environment that moves as many kids as possible up through and gives them all the tools for success rather than only the strong will survive. Yeah. Like, yeah craziness. And I think it's really important too, along the hours conversation is I think the slippery slope also becomes, we see more and more, it's actually getting better now, I believe, but in the nineties and the two thousands was like, as soon as you have team potential, you have to dedicate only gymnastics. You're in here all the time, more hours. I, I unfortunately believe in the nineties and two thousands that some coaches, if you would literally just keep getting more hours, like they wanted to be there all the time and homeschool and only gymnastics, no other sports don't have go on family stuff. Like it was wild to see some mm -hmm. of my teammates who like were pushed into how hardcore they had to be in the gym, but like, God, let them have a childhood. Let them go on family vacations. Let them be a kid. Yeah. Like there's yeah. no reason why you can't wait till 12 or 13 or 14 years old to, to really go triple down and hardcore into your focus goal. on to choose something to focus on. Yeah. yeah you're not going to miss your shot. If you don't do no. 40 hours a week as an eight year old, it's not going to happen. That's the biggest lie in gymnastics that you don't have enough time. Yep. You don't have enough time. There's not enough time. There's not, what do you, if you take care of their body, they have so much time. Yeah. Take care of the kids. They're going to be in there forever. They're yep. going to, they love it. Um, yeah. And yeah, that, that's the biggest lie is that you don't have enough time. Yeah. And, and to speak to having a short amount of hours, if you plan correctly, like the amount of stuff that I get done. Yeah. Nine hours. Yeah. It's like incredible. I plan every single minute of my practice, mm. like down to how many minutes it's going to take me to set the bars. Like I plan every single minute and I have a goal for every minute that I'm planning. Like I'm yeah. like, what's the goal here? And when I'm setting the bars, I already have discussion points that I'm talking to the kids about while I'm setting the bars. Yes. Yeah. So and I, I think use every second you said that so beautifully. I think the combination of um, effective time usage, right. And then mm -hmm. understanding what you're going to do, but also realizing an, a point we said before is like, you can work high level gymnastics in that like eight to 12. If you have a kid who's a phenom and wants to go to college, wants to go to scholarship, yeah. like you don't have an inevitable clock. Like you can't be like, I'm going to be elite when I'm 95. Like it's not that <laughs> open-ended yeah, no, it's it's realistic that you do have kids who want to be on that pathway, but there's so many ways to work all of these skills you want to do if you're effectively planning, if you're really doing a lot of education beforehand to know what drills do I want to do? What equipment do I have? What space do I have? And, and that's kind of where my next question goes to is I think 
I think this is a, a point that people get frustrated with is I don't have enough hours in the gym, but I don't think they're helping themselves and putting in work beforehand or around, you know, maybe from a business point of view, we pay our coaches to have an hour before or a half hour before to research drills and set things up. It's not like coming mm -hmm. at 501 when your class is like 505 to like, hmm, yeah. what can I use? What stuff can yeah. I do? Because you just, you feel flustered, right? So I think twofold on the business side, respect and pay employees for their time and teach them these drills yeah. they need. But on the, on the employee side is like, you have to be willing to put in that work beforehand to plan your drills, plan your stuff and not just be like flying by the seat of your pants because it's already hard enough getting kids to be focused when they're that young and stuff. So, I mean, from your point now, I'm like a business owner hat. How do you approach that with your staff about like, okay, this is how you plan. This is how you do drills. This is how you do uh, teaching education. Cause a lot of young coaches feel as though they want to do that, but they don't get really good education. And I feel as though a lot of compulsory people get thrown to the wolves. So they're like they're college yeah. kids who are just working part-time yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, that, was a that was like nine questions. In yeah, one that, was a, that was a lot of questions. I got, I got excited because I knew that was an important part. So let's break yeah. it down to how do you effectively plan your time first, then we'll go into the staff education mm -hmm. side. Okay. How do I effectively plan my time? Um, with compulsory. So with Excel, this is totally different, but yeah. with compulsory, I start with my end goal and I move backwards. Um, so I start at my like long-term goal of like, I want them to be optional kids. And then I go back and I'm like, okay, in order to be an optional kid, they're going to have to be able to do level three. So like I always use my level two because I have a huge level two group right now. So it's just always on my brain. Um, with my level twos, I'm like, when do I want them to learn routines by? When do I want them to have those routines technically correct? When do I want them to have those routines technically correct with good form? When do I want them introduced to level three skills? When do I want them to have it? And so I have all of those things. And then I go again backwards from there. I'm like, okay, if I want them to have their routines technically correct. So I always talk to my coaches. There's a big difference between like technical correctness and then like form corrections. Mm. Um, and I put more of the emphasis with my lower level kids on like, are they looking in the correct direction? Are they using maximum extension? Is their shape correct? More so than like, are their toes pointed? Like, oh, their knees bent. Like they're going to fix those things eventually. Um, but so the technical correct stuff, I, I, then I break that down and I say, okay, if I'm going to have them learn their level two routine floor routine, technically correct, I'm going to focus on that first quarter of the routine for these three weeks. And we're going to make sure turning their second hand in, in a cartwheel, keeping their, um, arm straight and a backward roll to push up position going on to a, a, um, passe releve and being able to hold that. And I just work that for three weeks. And then I go backwards from there. It's, it's literally just like a little, I go backwards from there. And I say, if I want them to be able to do a backward roll with straight arms to a push up position, I'm going to start them on a wedge. Then I'm going to put them off a wall. Then I'm going to move the wall down and I'm going to do this. And I just, yep. that's, that's, that's the best that I got. For them. That's how you plan. The exact that's same it. you would do with optionals, right? You would say like, yeah. I want them to do a shoot over at level nine, right? From a pirouette. Mm -hmm. How long will that take? How do I break that down to a drill? How long should it take for a routine? How long should it take before I get the physical prep? Like, yeah. I think the fundamentals are the same in planning, but the key is to, you have to actually do the work to yeah. what drills are the most effective to, to maybe help with this. And what equipment do I have? How much time do I have? Mm -hmm. Kids are oh. in my group, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Big thing, big thing that I struggled with. Don't get distracted by the fancy drills that take, <laughs> that take 30 minutes to set up because yeah. So for me, like I just coach back to back to back. Like I give my coaches time in between, but like I don't like time in between because I'm crazy. So <laughs> I just like, I just smush my stuff together. I don't need time. I can work as a coach. It doesn't matter. But um, 
you can't like you're going to see a drill and you're going to be like, oh, my gosh, that's genius. Look at what the drill is accomplishing and figure out, can I do that drill with less setup? Mm. <laughs> um, can I can I accomplish the same thing that that drill is accomplishing with less setup? Be smart about what you do because you're going to see a drill because there's all these Facebook groups and there's all these YouTube channels. And you're going to be like, man, that drill is so cool. I want to do it. And you're going to have nine different drills. And each of your drills is going to take 10 minutes to set up. And that's <laughs> 90 minutes. Like we don't have that kind of time as compulsory coaches. Yep. So don't get distracted by and like maybe like there's a fun drill and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's really sick. I want to do that. Like one time during the week, I'll set aside a time to set up a really cool drill. But most of my practice, like I'm doing that thing where I've been coaching live a lot because yeah. I want to show people like you can accomplish a lot with like, all right, we're moving a floor. And then three other groups are on floor at the same time. And, yeah. and there's a lot happening, but you can accomplish a lot if you plan correctly. And, and if you're a good teacher, like mm -hmm. you don't, you don't have to be a good drill setter upper. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the official title in your contract that, uh, <laughs> yes. but, um, but don't get distracted by those things and, and focus on what is the goal? What am I trying to accomplish? And just really be efficient, be mm. efficient. Um, and owners, if you're looking for good compulsory coaches, first off, they have to be good with kids. And the, the number two thing is they have to be efficient. Yeah. They have to be efficient. Yep. Um, cause it's so important, but when it comes, sorry, when it comes to um, training for yeah, perfect pivot. Yeah. <laughs> when it comes to training for your lower level coaches, owners, don't be afraid to stick your lower level coaches with your optional coaches for a day or two. They're going to learn so much from it and they're going to go to the optional coach and they're going to say, now, what skill is that? Because a lot of them might not know and that's okay, but they don't know what skill that is. The optional coach is going to explain it to them. And then the compulsory coaches, you need to ask questions. So you need to say to your optional coach, like, okay, why are you doing that? Like, what is that accomplishing? If you're going to teach a mini giant to your level fives and you don't understand how giants work, you're not going to effectively teach a mini giant to your level fives. So go to owners, if you can, if you have the resources to send your optional, I mean, your compulsory coaches with your optional coaches just for a day or two to watch giants, spot giants, understand them. You, everyone benefits from this yep. because yep. then your optional coaches aren't going to have to undo all the mistakes that your compulsory coaches made teaching a mini giant. Um, yep. I, I show videos to my compulsory coaches of kids that do, you know, giant, giant double back. Right. And I'm like, Watch where the tap happens. Watch where the tap. And we go through in slow motion. And I do that with them. And compulsory coaches, you can do that with yourself. If you're teaching a skill and you're like, what is this going to lead to? Look at the skill. Watch an upper level routine. Watch it in slow motion. Look back at the compulsory level skill and see, oh, okay. I understand that the back hip circle is going to eventually lead to the clear hip circle. Watch clear hip circles in slow motion over and over and over again. And it's going to help you teach a better back hip circle that's progressive and leads to upper level gymnastics. So know what's coming next. Ask questions about what's coming next. Watch videos of upper level gymnastics. Owners, don't be afraid to stick. Like, I think a lot of owners think, oh, well, if I train my compulsory coaches to coach optional, then they're going to want to coach optional. Yeah. I mean, yeah, sure. Yeah. But tell them to coach their compulsory kids to be optionals. Yeah. Prove that they can do that. 
And, and I, I think that it's really important. I think one, I don't know if you're doing this for this reason, but like when you record stuff, when you're recording your own uh, sessions, when you're doing some of those uh, like circuits, stuff like that, I think that's one of the most valuable things you can do is, is one, take the time out of your schedule as an owner or take one of the optional coaches to, to, to teach a staff training on handstands or cartwheels or like bar shaping, right? And mm -hmm. record it, like find the way to record it and like make sure it's there. But the best things you can do are put those in a YouTube video uh, playlist or put those on a drive like that you have internally so that when people have questions, they can ask those coaches or go watch 74 videos that you've put up over the last six months, like make a database of things you're teaching your compulsory coaches, like value it, teach mm -hmm. them and record those things. And you can develop like a nice little library of stuff. Like there's so much stuff online. There's so much stuff you can do, but it's always better to go out of your way and teach your method and your system and what you want out of the compulsory. So that like, I, I do feel for a lot of younger compulsory coaches who are getting started because they do get kind of thrown to the wolves without like any really great training because the optionals is way more fun and, and flashy to do. But mm -hmm. yeah, like where do you think that handstand and that stretch jump comes from? That's going to become yeah. your, you know, huge tumbling down the road. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I sent, I sent my compulsory coach to an elite gym for an entire week, yep. go watch elite kids. And she came back and she was so excited to coach the compulsory kids. That's awesome. Um, because it, learning is fun. And if your staff doesn't like learning, then find a new staff. And if you don't like learning, then, then I don't know what to tell you. Like, yeah. if you're coach, Cause you're going to have to learn. And like, I'm still learning. I've been coaching for 12 years. I get better at compulsory coaching every single year I do it. I'm like, man, last year I was terrible. That was the worst. <laughs> I mean, so you have to, you have to love learning and you have to be willing to, to put in the work. But if, and if you feel like you're not in a place where your owner like supports your growth and supports your learning, then and maybe, and if you want to learn and you want to grow and this is what you want to do, then maybe you might need to find a different environment that works better yeah. for you. I know it's like, terrible to say but no it's not it's not i've said it multiple times in the podcast like if you go through all these layers of like okay is it a me problem is it a us problem is it a communication problem if you get all the way through and it's just not working like asking if it's the right fit for you is a really important thing because it's i mean you spend what like a 30 year life if not more working so like it's mm -hmm. not worth it to be at a place that you're miserable if like they don't support your education they don't want to give you some drill help they don't want to at least teach you some stuff like yeah. you're only going to sink spiral down into misery down the road yeah. so yeah. um yeah that was all fantastic and i want to save some time to talk a little bit about excel because i know that's another area that you work with and that a lot of people have questions on so mm -hmm. let's maybe shift gears and it's great because a lot of things i think we covered are just as relevant to not only excel but optionals and elite whoever you're working with right that basics never go out of style but mm -hmm. you think more about working with the excel group i think that the number one um question that i get from the community that listens but i also have when i was younger is how do you work with the excel groups who maybe have multiple different priorities and or hobbies right like in our gym excel was an opportunity to stay involved in gymnastics but if you have other time commitments or you want to do other things or you, it's just not really the five days per week is not what fits your style but you still mm -hmm. love the gym we want to have you here so it was a way for us to be able to serve the needs of our entire community, but it's challenging as a coach to be able to teach these skills and get them uh, prepared and be able to do things safely when mm -hmm. they have 17 other things they're kind of juggling with. So like, what's your first approach to maybe that group? And then we'll dive more into some specific questions. Okay. Well, um, I mean, the thing is, I was looking at those topics and the points that you gave me and, and I was like, wow, we all struggle with the same things. Yes, um, so first off, if you're coaching Excel, recognize that it's not just you that's struggling with these things. Everybody is struggling with that. It is incredibly hard. Um, I think that's kind of what I said in the beginning is 
you have to have fun while you're coaching Excel. And then, um, and then once that, once you are having fun, then you can really think about, okay, what's the best way to, to tackle this? Because you are going to have so many different skill levels um, and so many different goals. And number one, here's what my gym does. And I hope that um, people will learn from this because it has worked very well for us. Um, we use a star system. And what that star system means is that we list out all of the requirements for every level of Excel. And we have someone training Excel Diamond. Like, oh, I know a lot of people don't really use that. Um, we use our Excel program kind of in the same way that you were saying. Um, our Excel program is another way to reach upper level gymnastics if maybe compulsory isn't going to work for you. Or it is you're doing a million different things. You don't have the time to only focus on gymnastics. Um, you can use the Excel program for that. Or I like I have kids that have back issues. I don't want to force them through back walkovers and back handsprings on balance beam in level five. Right. I don't want to do it because I don't want to hurt them. And if we can use a different thing to get them to do amazing, awesome gymnastics, diamond gymnasts are like great. Um, then I'll do that. Like I want, I want these kids to succeed. I want them to be healthy and I want them to be happy. And so that's why we use our Excel program. So first off, establish your goal for your Excel program. We personally do not use our Excel program to push kids to optionals. Um, and I don't recommend doing that unless you've done compulsory coaching for many, many years with lots of success. Mm. Um, so if you don't know how to create an optional gymnast using the best like the best coaches got together and, and put the compulsory program together. So if you haven't figured that out yet, um, then I wouldn't be like, oh yeah, I've never made an optional kid before, but I'm going to use Excel to make an optional kid. Um, but if you're like, if you have tons of experience and you're great, um, then yeah, you can, you can use Excel to kind of fast track kids to optional. But I personally don't do that. And I don't recommend it for people that don't have a lot of experience. Sorry. So we're going back to what we do with our Excel because we use a star system. And so we list out all the requirements for bronze, silver, gold, platinum and diamond. And for each of the requirements, they can get one star if they attempt something, two stars if they can do something safely and would get credit for it from a judge. But like number one, can they do it safely by themselves? Number two, are they going to get credit for that skill from the judge? And then they can get three stars if they have minimal deductions on that skill. And owners, I recommend you get your um, your coaches judging training. Yep. Um, that's huge. <laughs> because if they don't understand what's going on, then like how are they going to coach your kids effectively? Sure. Um, so do that. <laughs> um, and if you are a coach and you have the means to get yourself um, judging certified, do that yeah. compulsory and Excel. Um, but three stars is minimal deductions on those skills. Um, and what that means is like, think about the value of the skill. And so like, if it's a vault, like I'm not going to say, oh, you, you, to get three stars, it's one to two tenths in deduction. Yeah. Um, nobody's scoring a nine, eight. I mean, some people are scoring on it. Yeah. My kids are not scoring a nine, eight on vaults um, in Excel. They're just not. Um, so like, if they're like nine and above, I'll give them three stars on it. Cool. Um, and then I am, very clear with communicating to the kids when they get to move up through the levels when they so i break down the levels bronze one and bronze two bronze one is the bare minimum requirements bronze two is something that's progressive to get them to silver once they have 80 percent of their bronze two stars 
they can start training silver. Does that mean that they are going to compete silver? No. Yeah. Because they have to have two stars on all of their silver one stuff, which means, again, they can safely do them and get credit for them. And then they can compete silver. So in my silver group right now, we have like 15 silvers training silver. Three of them are still competing bronze. Mm. But they're training silver, um, but they don't have the stars yet to compete silver. But they're yeah. still in that group. And that is that is the most effective thing that I think that we might do a little bit differently, or maybe it's a little unique. I'm not sure if other gyms do that. Oh. It works. It yeah. works really well. I totally agree. And I think we we adopt that kind of for everything in our gym, but it's particularly important with Excel because of kind of like, I think the communication is really huge because you're communicating to the athlete about what is needed to kind of move through these levels, like you said, but it's also really important to communicate to the parents about like, okay, this is what it looks like for these levels, for these progressions. Cause a lot of parents don't know anything about the scoring system and stuff. But if you lay out, um, Eva, my wonderful boss who has done a lot of this, she's able to lay out with parents and parent meetings about like, here's what Excel looks like. Here are the levels, here are the skills, blah, blah, blah. The kids understand that the coaches understand that it's a really level, even playing field to have a nice conversation about what you know this level requires or why someone didn't move up or why the score maybe struggled or why they're frustrated with some of their skills but having those things really laid out in the sand in the handbook or wherever else is a good kind of like fallback you talk in the parent meeting but it always kind of escapes them during the meet season so you kind of reference those things back like oh no like well this is why she's competing this level or this mm -hmm. level because we still have these stars or we have a, mm -hmm. a stoplight system so red yellow green is kind of like the same kind of idea green you're good yellow is like not quite there yet red is like not really performing it safely yet yeah. so we do that and i think the other thing i want to echo which i think is really important that you're highlighting here is with athletes whether it's in the excel program who have other priorities have other hobbies whether it's in the optional program and, and kids are maybe like divided between a couple different um, priorities in their life or even like an elite right like you have to be really clear about the expectations or like the the requirements of what a level commitment does right so if you're committed to excel program because you want to you know play track, you know, do track, you want to be with your friends, you want to go on family vacation, that's totally fine. Like we have no problem with that at all. But mm -hmm. you realize that with different expectations of hours in the gym and time to do skills, it comes with a different amount of commitment, right? So like they have to be really open and communicate about what the differences of expectations of themselves will be. In my experience, all gymnasts, but also in Excel struggles quite a bit is they're so hard on themselves about like, I'm only here seven hours per week. And I'm so frustrated that like, I can't get my back handspring, I can't get this. And they don't see the disconnect between like, okay, yes, yeah, so the commitment level is here. Our expectations have to also match maybe that doesn't mean you can't yeah. work hard doesn't mean you yeah. can't have fun. But like, really hard to get a back handspring when you're only here two days per week and you only have one hour on floor each of those times so i think mm -hmm. over communicating with the parents over communicating with the kids about like we love excel it's great for you to be here but just realize that it's going to come with a different set of maybe um, progression level so that that's my other piece of advice and they move at a different pace for sure and there are some kids that i have that just zoom through the excel levels <laughs> yeah and there are some kids that spend three years on one and yep. that's fine because i say like what i say to them is like are you having fun? Yeah. Do you enjoy gymnastics? Yep. yep. That's why you're here. Like <laughs> you're not, you're not here. Like there's no, one of the things I love about the ISL program is that it's not like there's no pressure. Yeah. And this is one of the things that my optional coach just loves about the Excel program. He's like, I get to play with so many fun skills <laughs> yeah. that I would never use in optional because I'm like, Oh, that's not going to lead to this. That's not going to yeah. lead to that. But he's like, doesn't matter in the Excel program because 
we're just having a good time. We're doing gymnastics at the most base like level of what gymnastics is. Fine, yeah. That's what we're doing. Like we're moving and we're just like doing flips and it's cool. Like <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And, and so you don't like you don't have to think like, oh, is this progressive? Is this gonna do this? Like sometimes you just do gymnastics because it's fun. Like yeah. and um and don't be afraid to play with those skills that are just fun. Right, um, so the biggest difference with um, my Excel program versus my compulsory program is I start from like with compulsory, I'm like, what's the end goal? And I work backwards mm. with Excel with all of our skill evaluations and the stars. I'm like, what do I have and where do I go with this? Sure. Um, and so like, I'll have a kid and I figure out, I do evaluations. I figure out exactly where they're at. And the biggest thing about the Excel program is that you can look at what are your kids strengths and then use them. Like, uh, however you want to, it's okay. great. So you get to start, like, here's what you have and how can I build from here? So you're building, you don't have to work so much backwards. You don't have to think so far in advance. It's just simply, I have this kid that can do this. This is what they're good at. And then go from there. Um, right. but try your best owners to not spread your coaches so thin with, um, with skill levels. That's why I really do that where I've got like my bronzes, my silvers. And then sometimes I have to break them up and I put my silver ones and my silver twos together because sometimes I'm like, wow, there's a really wide um, skill range. Yeah. I mean, cause in silver, you can do a round off rebound backward roll, or you can do like a punch front. Like, <laughs> yeah. so like I've had kids compete a punch front in silver. I've had kids compete a round off rebound backward roll in silver sometimes it's hard to train them together. And so as an owner, like you have to have that honest discussion with yourself, like um, what is the goal of my Excel program? And then go from there and say, do I really want to just make my coaches hate their life and coach all these different skill sets together? Or do I want to maybe not be, it's not a financial best decision, but like split the group up yeah. um, and make sure that these kids are getting the attention they need and these kids are getting the attention they need. Um, and, and sometimes, I mean, everybody has different, different reasons for doing what they do, but ultimately I like my coaches to be happy. Um, and I like my kids to be happy. Uh, and so any decision that I can make where I'm like, Oh yeah, this is, this is going to make my coaches do a better job. I make that decision. Sure. Yeah. And then I think another one of the really big differences between compulsories and between the Excel program is obviously the athletes in the uh, Excel program, sometimes not always typically tend to be uh, older, you know, taller. And I think this mm -hmm. is a, a really common thing that I hear from Excel coaches who struggle is like, I can't pick up my, you know, 15 year old gymnast and hand spot them through a free hip or a back tuck. Like, yeah. I think the spotting becomes a really big challenge, whether it's like the different bar settings, whether it's the different abilities to learn these skills they want to do. So how do we approach that? Because I have some thoughts here that I'm happy to share too that have worked really well, but I'm curious how maybe you train your coaches or you yourself uh, yeah. work with Excel athletes who maybe don't have the same ability to get like hand spotted through, you know, mm -hmm. whatever skill they're working on. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I know what you're going to say. Um, so I will not touch on that. Please um, do. I, Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Um, progressions. Yeah. Um, if you don't have, like, if you don't understand how to build a skill from the ground up um, and each little step in between, uh, then it's going to be really hard because you're going to need to throw kids through stuff. And it's also going to be dangerous for mm -hmm. you and the kids. Um, and so learn progressions, 
learn patience. Patience is a learned skill. And so be patient with your athletes and with yourself um, and get them to have solid, 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 solid basics. Yeah. Like if they have solid basics, then they're going to be easier to coach. Um, and so I know one of the things is that we get a lot of Excel kids like from different gyms and they all have different backgrounds. And I always kind of start over for a little bit. And yeah. I'm like, sorry, I know this isn't ideal and this is not what you want to do. They're like, I have a back handspring. I'm like, okay, can I see your push-up position? Sure. Like, can I see your handstand? Um, but you you do have to make sure that their basics are really solid. Um, but I think the biggest thing is when it comes to actually spotting. So let's say you really have to spot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> work out. <laughs> Get yeah. strong. Um, Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Maintain your body. I am blessed and I have wonderfully strong fit coaches. Um, so I have not the best shoulder in the world. <laughs> um, and so I try to avoid um, a lot of spotting, but I have like Kaylin's one of my coaches and she just works out constantly and man, she can lift anything. Um, and, and she's my height. She's like five feet tall and it doesn't matter. But, and owners get spotting blocks. Get things that make your coaches feel safe while they're spotting. Yeah. Buy the spine locks. They are worth it. Like if they're going to keep your kids safe and your coaches safe, then get them. Like make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> because I have coached in gyms where you're spotting on top of a barrel and it's not fun. And you're you're spotting giants on a, the trapezoid mats dangling into the pit. Like I've been there. I've done that. And Did it's you? not safe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think all these little things take off like a little like percentage of it making it easier, right? If you teach, yeah. you have to understand like the basic points of performance of a round off. Like where does your leg go? Where does your hands mm -hmm. go? Where do your eyes go? Where do your feet go? And the kids have to understand that because that helps them be a little bit more fluent with the skill or spotting that. But then also like back to like body tension, right? And just like basic shaping. How hard is it to spot someone who's taller than you when they're like, like very not understanding of just squeezing their body, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> it's easier to manipulate them or help them when they're right. actually tight. So like, even yeah. if someone's not the most athletically gifted, perfect flexibility, if they understand just squeeze, you can probably set some drills up that assist them in the skill a little bit easier, right? So like if you have an understanding of the technical performance, if they have like basic strength and body tension drills, if you have some spotting blocks because your your employer values that, you can help them. If you have some extra people or hands to help, but also if you just understand, okay, these drills are minimal effort from me and I can do a lot of reps of them, but they're getting towards the end goal of what I want to do. That's yeah. what actually I've learned the most from Nick is there are like a hundred different ways to teach a proper uh, hurdle for a round off. There's a yeah. hundred different ways to teach a proper tap swing. And I don't require doing hurdle round offs or doing tap swings. You can easily do them if you understand the key points of performance, right? So I think that's for Excel coaches that I find that do a great job they're actually like master technicians because the skills themselves may not be the most high level fancy things, but they really understand how, how to teach them well. So they can yeah. set drills up where the athletes can learn those points of performance on their own and not blow their rotator cuff out, spotting a hundred back handsprings. You know where I was saying like with the compulsory kids, like don't get lost with the fancy drills with my Excel kids. I get lost <laughs> with the fancy drills <laughs> because it's anything to make them comfortable, right? It's anything that that's going to really give them a nice solid understanding of what they're doing. And there's a lot of fear in the Excel program. Um, For some reason, like I just have, I think 
because I can't throw them around and manipulate them so easily, um, they're, they're just more scared. And so if you can do something that makes them comfortable and makes them understand, do it. Yeah. Do it. Take the time to do it. Set up, just have a full day of a fun vault drill. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's important too, right? Like finding two or three drills that are super fun, but might take a little bit more to set up. But mm -hmm. if it's only three drills and you're going to do them for like the next two weeks, yeah. like it's worth learning and having, I mean, oftentimes these kids can help set up. They're not like, you know, five-year-olds mm -hmm. who are barely like with it in the program, but yeah. they can actually help you set some up. So like, don't be afraid to set up some of those more complicated, fun things mm -hmm. and just keep doing those for a couple of weeks. I find that they, they enjoy the, the investment that you have in them. Yeah, that's definitely in the Excel program. That's the time when you can really do that. That's because yeah. you, because you really have all the time. Like I know everybody's like, well, I don't have enough time in the gym, but like, what's the rush? Yeah. Where are your kids going? The Olympics? Sure. Like, I don't know. <laughs> what are you trying to do here? Like my kids, the goal of my cell phone for each kit is just to get better, yeah. to improve, yep. um, to be healthy, to yep. be active. And so like you have all the time in the world. Don't feel that pressure where you're like, oh, my kids need to move up every like there's five levels. Yeah, they don't have to move. Like what, you want your 10 year old to be doing diamond? Like that's <laughs> not going to happen. So take your time and and it's OK. Um, but the other thing I was going to say is like yes. about spotting. Do not be prideful. Mm. you have to let go of that like if i like i'm five feet tall and i'm 119 pounds <laughs> like if there's a kid that i can't spot i can get someone to double spot with me sure like, i it's not that big of a deal you don't have to be like no i can do it myself i'm yeah. so strong like yeah. just <laughs> it only takes one of those <laughs> oh <Go> wrong <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get someone to help you. If you, I always tell my coach, I'm like, the best spotters know their limits. Definitely. The best spotters know their limits and they know when to ask for help. And they know when they're like, oh, I'm not comfortable with this. If you get that feeling in your gut when a kid's about to do something and you're like, oh gosh, <laughs> yeah. and you're standing there, you're not ready. You're not yeah. ready. Um, totally. And be ready because don't play around with people's safety. Um, and owners, like, let your coaches this is one of the reasons why i like to let my lower level coaches work with my upper level coaches because my upper level coaches teach them how to spot and that's kind of fun for my upper level coaches because they teach the lower level coaches how to spot and then they stand back and they're like yeah yeah, yeah. oh yeah that giant looks good yeah like, <laughs> so they get to kind for of sure. remove themselves and look and and the lower level coaches love it they're like i get to spot a clear hip to handstand on yeah. high door this, yeah. this is great yeah. um and so teach them how to do it and spot with people and, um, but make sure you're comfortable. If you have that, like we've all, we've all been there. Like or like the first time dropping feeling, you know, like when you're yeah. more nervous than they are for this. Yeah. yeah we've all yeah, been you're there. like, you're going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Don't worry I call, about it. I call that a fear bond. That's what we call it in our gym. When like two people mutually are nervous for someone <laughs> to do the same skill. Yeah. 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 Um, no, I don't recommend fear bonding <laughs> right before you spot big not skills. It's not good. Um, don't do that. Um, yeah, it's great. This has been a great discussion, but I, 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 we can't not circle back to that one thing we talked about, which is like parents, right? I think that's a really good way to end this. So mm -hmm. I think the parents and the younger levels, I think the only time it becomes a problem is when, when we get to that, like gold medal of stretch jumps kind of parent or, but also in Excel, sometimes I think maybe it's challenging for them to not understand why they're not progressing or why it's not going on. So as a gym owner and as someone who obviously works with a lot of parents, how are you approaching uh, parents? I just more holistically who let's just not say they're malicious, but they just like maybe don't understand gymnastics and they're not understanding why their kid is so upset at home because couldn't get their kip or something like that. How yeah. do you deal with those parents on, on maybe both sides of the fence? Um, well, I'm, I'm a big communicator. I love 
talking. I love the sound of my own voice. No, yeah, no, I'm a big communicator and I always tell my parents, I'm like, I will never be offended if you ask me a question about what I'm doing, because I know what I'm doing. So yeah. I'm happy to explain to you why I do this in level two, because I've done it for a really long time. I've been in this sport for a really long time. Um, and so I think as a coach or as a gym owner, don't be offended when people come to you with questions mm. because they don't understand. And and you hopefully understand. You yeah. do understand. I hope you do. Um, you do understand. And, and you need to communicate to your parents what your goals are. So like when I go to parents, I'm like, this is my gym. These are my goals. You can choose to bring your child here or you can choose to bring them elsewhere. Here are the phone numbers for other gyms. Um, if you don't align with our program goals, then it's not the best fit. And don't be offended at that. Like yeah. if you're a gym owner and someone comes to your gym and they're like, I don't like this, that's cool. Yeah. They can go somewhere else. So like, don't, you don't have to try to hold on to every parent and every kid. Hold on to the people that align with your mission and your goals um, and communicate those openly all the time like right. i cannot explain to you how often we go over our mission and it's not like let me read you my paragraph long mission statement we go over our mission every time we open our mouths mm. every time we make a decision every time i do anything it's in line with my mission and i'm really clear about it and that makes the parents comfortable if you're wishy-washy all over the place, you're like, oh, yeah, that kid, I could totally get to the Olympics. And, yeah, I'll also take this kid who can't do a forward roll, and we're going to work on this. And you're putting them in the same group together. The parents are going to be like, hey, how's, how's Susie going to get to the Olympics if this kid can't do a forward roll and she's focused on forward roll? Like, you need yeah. to you need to be clear. And I think that that is the biggest thing. And the parents are so comfortable when you know what you're talking about and you have solid goals and you move to accomplish those goals with every decision that you make. Yeah, I would agree. You couldn't have said that better. And I think what I've learned from, from our side with Eva, who's a, who's a magician with parents is, is really having that communication skill, but also having a lot of empathy because if you put them, yeah. put yourself in their shoes, like I think uh, in the coaching world, particularly we take for granted how much we know about gymnastics, the culture, yeah. the skill progressions, all that kind of stuff. And I, I always make the joke with parents, like, I don't know, God forbid my future kids, like, play baseball at a really high level, I'm so screwed. I have no idea the culture of baseball or like, you know, how to, how to get better at pitching. So you mm -hmm. can treat people with injuries from, from BT. Yeah. Like if I were to come into gymnastics as like a, an um, everyday mom or dad who just like has their daughter and knows nothing about gymnastics, you know how overwhelming that is? Be like, such oh my, a hard sport. I don't know what's going on. Like what are the bows and the hairs? I don't get it. <laughs> you know, it's so I'm, stressful. I'm still at the point where like a kid will get a score and I'm like, what like yeah, like exactly. i'm still there so you a parent yeah you can't expect the parents to understand and but like get the parents if you if you are consistent the parents are going to trust you and then you can look at the parents when kids score low and they're like why did my kid get this yeah. on this event and and you can explain to them yeah. explain to them so don't be offended don't get like defensive yeah just explain because here's the number one thing that you have to remember as a gym owner as a coach if parents talk to you number one as a gym owner I did not let the parents talk to my coaches just like 
it's like a big rule. Like do not contact my coaches on social media, on their own yes. personal social media. Yes. Like come to me and yeah. we will talk to the coach together because yeah. that's, that shouldn't be their job. Yeah. It shouldn't, yeah. like, it is my job to take all the heat. Oh. Um, and I back my coaches all the time. I back their decisions because I trust them. Yeah. I think that's really important if you're a gym owner. Um, you need you need to take all that because that's what you signed up for. You, you hired your coaches too, so you should yeah. trust them. Yeah, you yeah trust and you trained them. Hopefully, <laughs> I mean, so if I have trained my coaches and I hired them and I know what kind of people they are, then every decision that they make and that's the thing I I find people that are okay with sticking to my mission. Mm-hmm. It's, it's my gym and this is my culture and you want to stick to my mission. And I'm like, Oh yeah, do what you want. Like I, I'll let them do whatever drills they want and this and that and that. But that's like the number one thing that I'm nitpicky about is like, is that in line with our mission? Is it in line with our culture? Love that. Um, yeah. And, and if it is like, I'm like, okay, you play around, you do what yeah. you want to do as long as it fits within that. Um, sure. It's fantastic. I think we could have six more hours of this conversation, but I'm respectful of your time and of this. But yeah, I think this was super helpful to dive into like different kind of pockets here. And I'm excited to hear the feedback from the community. But before we go, definitely, um, where can people find like your YouTube stuff? That's pretty great. That content you're putting out and then anywhere else they want to contact you. Yeah. Um, Flight Athletic Academy is my gym name and I do all my YouTube stuff. Um, used to YouTube stuff through there. Um, YouTube. So, YouTube. <laughs> it is my tube. So maybe it's YouTube. <laughs> YouTube Flight Athletic Academy. I do a bunch of um, just like little videos here and there. But the number one thing that I've been doing recently is I've been coaching live and doing a lot of commentary about why I'm doing this and how this is going to help with optional level gymnastics and and how I'm doing this to be super efficient and doing this in a crowded gym with a crowded floor. Um, And so I think that's been helpful for my lower level coaches. And I would love to extend that to everybody else. You're welcome to watch that. Yeah, it's great. And I'm super uh, grateful you've been putting those out because I mean, it's one thing to go to a Congress and, and listen to somebody set these drills up and like you have a can think about it, but it's very different 30 minutes on the fly with 10 kids who, you yeah. know, are pushing each other over and grabbing each other's hair. You know, it's very, very different to do it. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I think a lot of people appreciate it. So yeah, I'm excited to see you uh, doing it. Honestly, if you need any help or anything we can do for you, just let us know. Okay. That sounds great. This has been a great discussion. I've had the most fun. Good. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, we'll put this up in a couple of weeks and then uh, thanks for all your time. Okay, thank you. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to that episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it and got a lot of value out of it. I just want to let you know before we sign off here that a couple things we'd love for you to do. So one is please just make sure that you rate and review the podcast on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher, wherever you're listening, because that really does help the episode grow quite a bit. And then second, if you really enjoyed this episode, we would love if you left us a review as well and told us what you liked about it. You know, what information was useful, what things were not useful, would you like to know more about, what guests you want to have on in the future. And then also as you kind of go about your day, if you found something really useful, just toss it up on social media. We love to hear from people on Instagram or Twitter or, you know, all the different websites that they're using for social media. Facebook is great too. But yeah, let us know what you like, because honestly, the podcast comes from people who just tell us what they're finding useful. And that's how we create the next set of content. So yeah, tag us in the podcast or tag us online, whatever you're doing it. And uh, let us know what you think. Thanks.